welcome to the podcast today. As a society, we are constantly being marketed ideas of what our lives should look like and feel like. We're told you have to have these exams, nine or 11. You have to do this subject, English, Maths and Science, and without it, you won't be successful. But where does that mentality come from? We live in a world full of creatives and disruptors. We have podcasts running three hours with Joe Rogan, who gives a fully insight and insightful adaptation of someone's perception and perspective on life compared to a five-minute news clip just for views. We have NFTs, completely transforming economics we have uh, a running we're running out of fossil fuels there's so many different things that are going on and yet our education system is slowly slowly catching up as if it's running on a flat wheel throughout this episode I'll take you back to the 1800s and explore where schooling in the UK came from the good people involved in its creation and where it should be going to support young people in their endeavors to be fully successful adults in the next 30 or even the next 100 years that England was one of the first countries to pioneer the mass education system. For a while, activists during the Industrial Revolution in Victorian England had a huge issue with children not being allowed to be kids, but instead the working class had to send their kids out to work. And this would be as young as three years old. Basically, they couldn't afford to live without the kids working. Remember, back then, there was no access to child benefits, government support, no NHS, and no contraception. As a family of maybe eight or nine or more, some of your children would have most likely have died, unfortunately, during uh, this time because of poor sanitation. There was no running water in a lot of the um, kind of shanty towns that were built all over London. They were often overworked and some, many, hundreds died, sorry, even thousands, I should say, of malnutrition. And you would have your healthy kids from around the age of, as I said, three working in factories because their little hands could put textiles through machinery and they were small enough to get through mines. In 1833, evangelicals pushed for a limit on the working days of children. So those aged between 9 and 11 could just work eight hours a day. Still a lot by our standards. When you think about it, we're in school for, what, six, seven hours a day? However, coal and iron mines did begin still, despite this new legislation, at the age of five. And that was due to small pits and the need for these resources to build the industrial Victorian community. As a result, most of these kids, because of their, you know, inhaling these toxic fumes, would die by the age of 25. There were also some key thinkers involved in the creation of schools back then. The first man that's recorded in the UK, known to have created the first school for the poor, was a cobbler or a shoemaker by the name of John Pounds. He actually suffered a huge back injury and when he walked it looked like he was bent over double. He was a self-taught academic and he realised that education was a better way out for many of the poor kids who were pickpocketers, stealing and turning to a life of crime in a world that was just unkind to them. He taught his pupils how to cook, the arts, even toy making. He took them to the beach for the first time. They explored nature and he taught them about a life away from stealing and petty crime. Upon his death, the great education reformers such as Lord Shaftesbury, Dickens and Angela Coates put forward the ragged schools movement 
1852, which encouraged a universal education system. Fast forward to 1867, and you might have heard of this guy called Thomas John Bernardo. Well, he set up a school where poor children could receive a basic education for free. He then opened a home for boys not long after, three years actually, in 1870. And at night, he would go to the slums himself and find destitute boys to bring back to help them. One evening, a really quite ill, emaciated 11-year-old boy called John Summers was turned away because the home for the boys was too full. And unfortunately, two days later, he died of malnutrition. From then on, Thomas... uh, bore the sign no destitute children ever refused admission above the door of the boys home which was the antithesis of the Victorian mindset you see if you were Victorian and you were middle or upper class at the time you saw any kind of child as being poor as it was their fault it was brought on by themselves you'd even see adults who were very poor and think that they were the devil because that was the mentality of the time no one at all would support you. However, because of all these amazing people working together, particularly the English um, revolutionists, such as William Blake, who wrote a beautiful book, um, which I will talk about another time. In 1870, the education, the very first education act allowed school boards to make provisions for young people. But there was an awful lot of pushback, especially from families who didn't want their kids to stop earning. By 1880, school attendance was made compulsory, but kids between the ages of five to 10 only made it to school 82% of the time because they had to keep financing their families. Fast forward a good old 60 years, and in 1944, the government in the Butler Act agreed on pupil leave of school to be 15 so all kids had to attend school. Like It was a mandatory thing up until the age of 15. And they also allowed unmarried and married women to be teachers. Because believe it or not, if you were married before this, you couldn't teach because you were owned by your husband. Isn't that crazy? Since then, many hundreds of laws, acts and policies have occurred the current education system. At many levels, schools do absolutely incredible things for our young people. But at grassroots, there are some huge issues which prevent sustained growth of mind, body and spirits for both educated, those being educated, the kids and the educators, the teachers. In 2022, the UK government, which is the current government that we have at the time of recording in 2023, stated in their new white paper since COVID, and they called it an opportunity for all strong schools with great teachers for your child. And even reading the title, honestly, made my eyes roll. You see, the problem that the government today has is the same issue they had in the 1900s. Many kids simply did not want to go to school back then because they needed to work to survive. And now many tens of thousands of children do not go to school because of the broken system, unable to facilitate 
the individual's needs. I work with a few of these kids and I see that they are not being supported. There are kids literally at home for now nearly a year where their schools haven't even gone to their homes to check that they're okay, where they don't get funded unless they have an EHCP, which is a very, very hard document to obtain in the first place, let alone get finance from it. And I've also got kids that are incredibly disruptive because they don't like the school system. And they see the mismatch and they are very two polarized perspectives. But in between that, we have children with eating disorders who are unable to cope in mainstream schools, people, children that have crippling anxiety, children that have ADHD. All these things accumulate to a system that is at breaking point and cannot facilitate the masses any longer. On top of this, thousands upon thousands of teachers are leaving due to many things, including Ofsted, increased pressure, paperwork loads, not to mention the behavior of the teens and kids and lack of good training, which is leading to, honestly, a ticking time bomb. The Tory government want the current statistics of around 70% of all school leavers with a pass at GCSE, English and Maths to reach 90%. And what that means, guys, is that 30% currently of school leavers do not pass their education in the UK with a GCSE in English or maths. It's horrific. It's really challenging because although that I'm saying that you don't need GCSEs to pass, it's proving that our system just is not working effectively. And it means that a lot of kids are unable to access things because they can't get an educational psychologist, because they can't get funding, they can't get people to sit with them in lessons and support them. The curriculum is disjointed from their real life application. There's so many different factors. And that hasn't, I haven't even gone onto the whole exam side of things that's very, very middle class orientated. If you are white and you are middle class, you're probably going to do much better than a lot of other demographics within the education system because especially English the writing is geared up for that demographic and no amount of teaching is going to help some of these kids it is ambitious that by 2030 they want 90% of all kids to pass that's an increase of 20% in 2020 to 2021 8.9 million kids and young people we're in 22,000 schools. That's the whole of the UK with a staffing amount of 1 million people, 460,000 teachers, 70,000 leaders. And in 2023, a total, believe it or not, out of those 460,000 teachers, nearly 50 of them left education. Can you believe now, that? If we have 460,000 teachers across all primary schools and secondary schools in the UK and nearly well, it's nearly 40,000. The actual number is 43,997 that left last year. That's a hell of a lot of teachers leaving. It did also say that around 46,000 were employed, which means that they're NQTs or they've never taught before. But that in itself creates issues because the leaders that are in place need to support all of those teachers that are just coming into the profession for the first time. And I'm sure some of them are incredible and energetic and creative and fun and inspiring. But equally, there's going to be a lot that are left by the wayside and unsupported, which is what happened to me during my NQT year, which is the first newly qualified teachers year. Many of the teachers are leaving and many more are expected to leave this year. The data hasn't been published on that yet because of the stress, but also there is an aging workforce. 
one of the comments on the new white paper is that teaching will be an attractive and high status profession. But this, again, is really, really different from how many people perceive the teaching profession. How many of you want your kids to be teachers? And if you're a kid listening to this or a teenager, how many of you guys want to be teachers? It may be that you do. It may be that you don't. And it's probably more likely that you don't. The reason for that is because of the high stress, the low wages. The government's incentive is to start salaries at £30,000, which is an awful lot for a starting salary if you're 21 years old. But it's not going to go up very much more than that. And the government are digging their heels in on giving teachers a pay rise, which is why we've had so many teacher strikes. It's not just that, though. It's the whole conception and perception, I should should say, (laughs) of teachers. I think teachers have a really bad rep in the UK. And I also think that teachers are not given the credit that some of them deserve. But I also think that a lot of teachers, it's their own downfall. Lots of them don't have a positive outlook on teaching. And many of them have been in it too long and not had enough training and are just not excited to go and teach anymore. And it's so incredibly Most sad. Most of the kids that I teach are really uninspired by their teachers and they're often having supply teachers. And I'm talking about kids that are in state schools right now. And it's just so sad. And they often come to me and they say, I've learned more with you in an hour than I have in a whole week or a whole month. And some have even said a whole year of being in my lesson at school. And it's it's just really sad because one of the things as well that the government want to push for is an extended working day to 32 and a half hours a week for kids in schools. But I'm not quite sure how extending time is going to benefit kids, especially when the kids that really need it are the ones that tend to come in late. They're the ones that may have attention issues in schools. And is prolonging a teacher's working life really going to make them more interactive, more interested and more energetic for the class in front of them? I'm not too sure. But there's a whole heap of things. And when we think about educating the masses, is it really relevant to what's going on in our education? And is it something that we should be working towards? Or is it something that we should be breaking away from? Because if we educate everybody in the same way all the time, we're going to just produce what we're producing now, which is a lot of graduates. It's a lot of kids with not a lot of life skills. We're going to produce the same amount of kids that have all kinds of mental health disorders because they're so stressed from the amount of work they're having to do. And it's like being on a conveyor belt. And we have also so many kids that feel disconnected with their work. And imagine you, if you're an adult listening to this, and you have been school, so hopefully you know this feeling, but imagine being told for the next, possibly, if you start school at five and you don't finish till 18, that's 13 years. If I sat you down and said, look, for the next 13 years, unfortunately you're going to be doing something you don't really like to do. But you've got to do it because until you do that, you can't really move on in your life. And that's kind of what we're telling our kids right now. And at five, it's really, really fun because there's sand and there's play and there's mess. And then within a couple of years, they're sat down at desks writing, doing exams, 
the first exam that kids take is actually in year one when they when they're six years old and it's a reading test and then it's a times tables test the year after and then it's SATs and then it's end of year exams and I cannot tell you the amount of exams that my kids sit in secondary schools it really really builds up to this huge crescendo in year 10 and year 11 where they're basically every single term having huge exams and what is it for what is all this stress for because I'm not quite sure what it is for and if we look at those people that are super successful Mr Beast, Joe Rogan, uh, musicians, I'm really bad with this, actors, actresses, um, I live in a little bit of a cocoon within my knowledge and um, I'm sure uh, some of you do as well. But the people that you aspire to and your kids aspire to be, they probably haven't done great at school. Or if they have done really well at school, they rejected the traditional routes after leaving compulsory education. I think it's really, really important that kids are still taught the basics of English and maths. But I do think it could be done in a much more creative way, which harnesses their imagination, their play and their excitement. And it's relative and relatable to their life after school. What are your thoughts about this? Have you ever thought about a different way that we could teach our kids? Would you be excited if your kids were excited every day rather than forcing them to go somewhere they didn't really want to go to? Maybe you have a kid that just loves school, but I am honestly yet to meet a child who jumps up and bounds off to school from the age of five all the way through to 18. I just haven't met one. And it's really, really sad because I think we should live in a world where it's exciting to do something every day, doing what you love. And although seeing your friends and hanging out with them at lunchtime is cool, wouldn't it be much better if for six hours a day they were doing something that they loved instead? Until next time, I'll leave you with that thought. Goodbye.